0: off my feet. you erased my history You took all of me and filled it up with you. Hello You're a bully.
1: This is let's talk about it And I am Patricia McLean, founder and president of Finding Our Voices, a Maine-based nonprofit organization breaking the silence of intimate partner abuse town by town, conversation by conversation, all over the state. With domestic abuse, the damage always extends beyond the target of the abuse, no matter how much the target may feel that she or he is keeping it behind the closed door of their home or bedroom. Today, we are talking with mother and daughter, Rhonda and Ashley, who discuss the abuse directed at each of them and suffered by both of them, during 20 years. Ashley, who it turns out went to school with my daughter, has discussed her experience and struggles on social media in order to help others understand and heal. Rhonda is breaking her public silence here
2: today. My name is Rhonda Bickford. I'm 54 years old and I live in Rockport.
3: My name is Ashley Visers, previously Ashley Bickford. I am 32 and I now live in Rockport.
1: And Rhonda, did you say that you know a couple of the women in Fire Our
2: Voices? Yes. I worked with both of them at my medical office that I work for. And one girl told me about it, Olivia. And I had also seen the posters around and was very interested, and then Jess Bowen, she was going to have her picture taken one day and mentioned it, and I was like, oh, so I asked her some questions on how to become part of the project.
1: And Ashley, you said that
2: you
3: knew some people in the project? Courtney was my hairdresser at Sonia, and then Mia, her stepdaughter, I went to school with her.
2: I also did work at Hanford for 25 oh my years goodness. and that's when I was having the abuse. Cuz I'm
1: just wondering like of all the people that saw you nobody all the
2: time. knew. Nobody knew. I was 18. How old was he? He was 25. What was your impression of him? Um wonderful. Very funny, very giving, very loving. I fell head over heels. And we were together for about a month, and he asked me to marry him, which should have been a sign. Still no sign of the abuse. In my latest radio episode, I mentioned red flags, and that's
1: what I forgot. (laughs) Yeah. Moves quickly to seal the deal. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yes. Before a year, he wanted me to have a baby. And you were only 19? Yes, yes. So we got married. And what did your friends and family think about him at that point? They they liked him. He was a little controlling with the wedding, the reception, you know, those kind of things. We got married, we moved into an apartment, and it started immediately. What, what started? The abuse. I would say something wrong and I had a little cart that I used to cook the food on because we had a small kitchen and the food would go onto the floor and so I'd run out of the apartment and leave and I would come back and then he would say he was sorry that he didn't mean to do that and it just was all the time I felt so bad for my neighbors that lived there because it was constant I was in and out in and out. What do you mean in and out? Out of the apartment like, like we would get into a fight so I would leave. What do you mean you would leave? I would go to my mom's or I would go for a ride, or and then I'd go back, and he'd be cooled down, and then things would be okay. There'd be times when things were great. I called him Jekyll and Hyde. He would be great, and then all of a sudden, a, f- a switch would flip, and he'd totally turn it's into the same script. Yeah, totally turn into a whole different person. And then within seconds of of the abuse, I didn't do anything wrong. He'd say that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like. Yes, you did. You just called me a fat bitch. You know, really? You don't remember saying that to me? You don't think that that affected me? And no, no. And I remember Ashley asking me one time why I stayed, why I kept going back. There was a span of time that he was great, and I knew it was there. So I kept thinking it would come back.
1: How long was that span of time,
2: would you say? I'm going to say probably about three months. Not long, but enough time that you saw a goodness in him. I'd say, well, I know he can be good because he was. I was pregnant for Ashley, which he wanted me to be pregnant. And this is going to be rough. Oh,
3: I know these things. From (laughs) Miss Ashley. No, I know these things.
2: Um, And he was mad at me, so he started throwing shoes at my stomach. Ashley told me down the road that one time when he, they were home and he was watching now, because I worked, that he said she, he wished she had died when he was throwing the shoes at my stomach. Wow. And I did never knew that until after I got my divorce and we were in therapy together.
1: You and Ashley went in therapy together? All of us,
2: all three of us. I have another daughter, too. And we were all in
1: therapy together. So when he was throwing the shoes at you, well, you were kind of stuck and trapped at the time.
2: I was. Yeah. I was. I was in love with him, but yet I was mad at him because he was doing that.
1: You said that nobody knew. Did you tell any family members what was going on?
2: I did. Well, my mom and my dad.
1: And what do you remember telling them, and what do you remember their reactions being?
2: I didn't tell them everything, but I did tell them a lot. I have blocked out a lot of what happened. But you did tell them. I did tell them, yep, and actually... (laughs) After I got my divorce, they carry a lot of guilt because, for one thing, they didn't know it was happening to them. They didn't know it was happening to the kids. Yes. And they said, had they known, they would have stepped in. I guess they thought maybe I could handle it and that it wasn't as bad as it actually was. But it was. Just about the
1: financial thing, was he pulling his weight financially?
2: Yes. When I got a divorce, it was when there were some women that got killed because of domestic fights. In our
1: area? Yep. Yeah.
2: And there was an article in the paper, and it was about a domestic abuser, and it had every sign. And he fit every sign except for the financial because he let me work. But he carried the bigger part of the financial I had to ask for money from him, which led to more abuse.
1: But you were making your own money. Yes, so but have, I didn't
2: cover everything. What did you have to ask him for? For what? For extra things for the kids. Basically, that was, you know, it. My money shared for the bills, but it was basically anything for extra for the kids. And
1: what was his reaction when you asked ask him? For
2: he things? would play games like with what? me. For example... <laughs> I used to go Christmas shopping with my friends every year. It was a tradition. It was a fun thing for us mothers. For many years, I had a Christmas club. I paid for it. And so after a while, I didn't. And I said, I need, you know, need some extra money. And he would say yes. And then when it came to the point when he knew it was getting closer, I'd say, can I have that money? Are you going to give me that money? And he would Linger it, linger it, linger it. And then at last minute, he would say, here's your money. And at this year, my friends had already left to go. And it just pissed me off. And it's also humiliating Mm -hmm. to have to ask over and over Mm -hmm. again. Yes. Very much. (laughs) Very much. Ashley, can you
1: talk about what you remember growing up about him? I was the first.
3: So I think I kind of held a special place for him. But... In a way, he used me to be against my mother. If they had a fight, he would come to me and say, see how much of a bitch your mother is.
1: Do you remember Rhonda, him saying that to the girls? I do. And do you remember how
2: it made you feel? Yes. Made me feel like he's playing them against me, and this is my daughter, and why would you need to do that?
3: I made a really amazing best friend when I was in third grade and we're actually still friends and experienced other families was when I started realizing what my dad was doing was wrong. And that's when I started putting that divide between him and I, things got worse for me. Obviously I was basically his little buddy. Like he would take me fishing. He would take, he would force me to go hunting. You didn't like that. I hated that. (laughs) God, no, I, I, wanted to please him I always just wanted to please him because if you didn't please him things would be bad for you you would basically become the next target and he would ignore you he would yell at you call you names what names did he call you uh he liked to call me a stuck-up bitch I love to read and my father is smart in some ways but I wouldn't call him book smart. So he would make fun of my intelligence. He would say that I was trying to show him up. And like if I ever asked for help with homework and he didn't understand, it became my fault. He would get angry? He would get very angry. I just always wanted to please him, so I would go hunting with him. And I wanted the attention. Because if I if I wasn't with him, I was alone. I spent a lot of growing up just alone. Because Rhonda, you were working a lot.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and w- when you were hunting do you remember any incidents that were not pleasant That he, things that he would do or... the
3: second I turned the age that you could hunt he was like we're doing this Like that was his thing and I always hated firing guns it terrified me and he would take me out back to practice but the very first time that we went I got off the school bus and he immediately was like we're going we went into the woods and I remember sitting there thinking, I don't want a deer to come. I am a huge animal lover. Like, love every creature, basically. And, of course, a a doe came by. And he kept saying, shoot the deer. I froze because I didn't want to do it. And he grabbed my gun and shot the deer in front of me. Oh, my God. Which, of course, I was the one with the doe permit once we found the deer he said you have to lie you have to tell everyone you shot this deer because he would get in trouble and i was berated the entire walk back because i i was too weak i was too much of a coward to shoot a living creature and up until My parents got a divorce. Everyone thought that I killed that deer because I was too afraid to say otherwise. I was in high school, I wanna say I was 14 or 15. I was waiting for some friends to come over and my dad came to the house and he said, I shot a deer, but you need to be the one to tag it. It needs to be under your name. And I said, I'm not doing it, I'm putting my foot down. And he forced me to put on hunting gear and to come down, and he smeared blood on me. He smeared blood on me, and he smeared the dough urine. Like, was cry crying when he was doing that? Mm-hmm. And he made me pose with the deer.
1: You've got one sister? Yes, one How sister. How did you see, see that behavior?
3: He definitely was a bit more aggressive with her. Like I said, I think there was some favoritism with me because I was the firstborn. He always used her weight and her, like, how she ate and the food she ate and everything as a target. You did that with my mom as well. Was he a thin man? Yes. He was very aggressive towards my sister. What Um, what kind
1: of things, again, was he calm? That
3: she would eat too fast. She would eat too much. He would make fun of her weight she's five years younger than I am I don't know if she remembers a lot of this she's very clammed up about talking about the past whereas I'm more open about it but I can still see in her food behaviors that kind of like worrying that she's not going to get enough because there were instances where we'd be eating dinner and he would say something and she'd stop she didn't want to eat anymore. Like, she completely lost appetite.
1: And Ron, did you
2: remember observing Mm -hmm. that? I do. And did you intervene? Yes, of course. I spoke to him and said, that's not right. What are you doing? You need to stop. Because I know that in my
1: marriage, I was afraid to say things.
2: Yes, I was afraid. So I didn't say too much. Enough to make, maybe try to make my point. But not too much because I knew if I did, it would come back at me. It would serve no purpose. Right. It would make things worse. Yes. It would escalate it. Everybody would start screaming and crying and running away. I remember for me it was all about keeping the peace. Did you feel that too? Oh, yes. Yes. It was keeping the waters calm. And I still do that to this day. I've had to learn that it's okay that they get upset with me. Or anybody can get upset with me. It's been a hard road for me to learn that. Because I've had somebody mad at me for 20 years. But isn't it
1: weird how we think we're keeping the peace, but there's really no peace at all. No,
2: so, no. Right. Because there's so
1: much tension. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And did you remember other ways he treated your mother that you Oh oh absolutely. I
3: actually have a really hard time at night, um, to this day, because once the sun went down, there was always a chance something bad would happen. A lot of stuff happened. Once my sister and I went to bed or went upstairs to our rooms. And that's when a lot of the yelling would start. Whatever was happening, I just wanted to keep everyone safe. I remember one night coming down, and my dad had my mom pushed up against the wall. And my mom has had this um, doorstop. It's like three animals stacked on top of each other, made of like really heavy, like iron. And he was holding it up he very rarely resorted to physical violence but he loved to threaten it is that true Rhonda mm-hmm. that he would threaten mm-hmm. there were occasions when he would like grab you hard my myself i've seen him do it i saw him do it with my mom he'd grab your arm mhm he loved pushing you up against a wall i remember actually in front of my grandparents when i was younger At least my grandfather was there. I don't know if my grandmother was. And I said something, or I had upset him in some way, and he grabbed a dining room chair and held it up like he was going to throw it at me in front of my grandparents.
1: In front of your parents,
2: Yes. I don't remember. She wasn't
1: home. She was working at the time. Oh, and do you remember what the grandparents did?
3: Um, My grandfather yelled at him, but then it became... A story of, oh, your dad would not have never thrown that at you. Mm -hmm. It was just, he was just angry. Mm -hmm. I love my grandparents dearly. Mm -hmm. I love both sets of my grandparents. My dad's parents have now passed. But I believe they are of that generation of what happens in the home stays in the home. And, you know, the wife and the husband need to figure it
1: out. Mm Mm-hmm. Rhonda, tell me about the fact of you working nights, right? Mm-hmm. I worked nights for 10 years. And this was where? At Hanford. So how did that affect the family
2: dynamic? I would work okay. like 2 to 11 or 3 to 11. So we, the kids and I spent a lot of time together at the beach. You know, I had friends, we did the beach, we did things like that. I had to go back to work at 6 weeks after I had, had oh, the children. Wow. So he had both of the kids at night time. I don't know what happened at home. I wasn't there. I only know when they were sick, I got to call that I needed to come home. He would call you? Yes, because he couldn't handle them being sick. So I would have to go home to take care of them. But I don't know a lot that happened when I wasn't Do you
1: remember being there. worried about leaving them with him?
2: They were babies, so I thought the abuse was going to be more towards me than the kids. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that they would be abused. I had no clue at all that that would ever happen. But no, I, I did not know that he would be abusive to children. I thought it was just me.
1: And then let's talk about the nighttime when the screaming would start. Did you think that because the kids were sleeping or in bed that they were not listening,
2: hearing? Yes. And I have found out since, through therapy, that both my girls cried themselves to sleep many nights. And I had no idea, or I would have been up there. Mm-hmm. That devastated me to no end to find out. I found out a lot of things that I did not know. Um, when you were in therapy with the girls? Yes. Well, for one thing, I didn't think he was an alcoholic, and they said he was an alcoholic. The girls did? Mm-hmm.
1: You would feel you were more aware, actually, of his drinking than maybe your mother even was because she was working? Oh, absolutely. He would
3: probably go through don't drink a lot I know there's like a 24 pack but then there's like one below it he would go through one of those a night Wow of beer we, we, but we, he didn't
2: have to be drunk to be abusive right he could be abusive sober it wasn't like a trigger of
3: okay when he brings home the beer I need to be careful it was just every night I need to be
1: careful the same thing happened with me when my husband was arrested they said was he drinking was drinking a factor I said no. Because he
2: drank all the time. If you're being questioned by police, you're scared, too. You're still afraid of what the reprotection... And you're still protecting him. Yes.
1: If the police come and if there's an arrest, the questions that they ask you and your answers are going to determine a lot. They're super important. Yes. And I don't think women are aware of that and they're not informed of that. And maybe we should revisit that and what goes to the DA's office and what becomes part of the record, maybe they should wait a few days and question uh, the, you again. Let
2: the woman, yes, when, process. When's
1: the woman's processed and once she's had a few days to start thinking? Yes. Because these questions and answers are very important yes. moving, You know, for yes. the record.
2: I had to put a protection from abuse on him when I filed for divorce because if I hadn't, it would have been horrible.
3: Well, it was actually before the divorce filing... When my mom kicked him out of the house for the last time was when we all went to the judge and got the protections from abuse. The the three of us. had. Um, And
2: like we were talking about the boxes. One of the boxes is he couldn't have a gun. And I freaked out thinking he was going to come after me because I took his right to hunt away oh from him. Oh, my God, because that was such an important thing yes. to him. So I called my lawyer and said, don't forget it, forget it, I don't want it. He's like, no, no, no. He said, we're keeping this.
1: One of the things that you most needed his guns taken away was one of the things that you were afraid to take off yes. because of what it would mean for yes. you. Yes. Interesting. See, these are all things that... Yes. I don't think that they take into consideration when they're considering the safety of the woman who's seeking the protection from abuse order. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And tell me, is it true that you had something to do with your mother leaving? Yes. It
3: took around eight times for her to finally get him out. And I was 16 at that time, so I was still a minor. I didn't have a choice when she would decide to come back. The summer before... She said, we're packing up. We're going to live with my grandparents. I was like, thank God we're leaving. Please let this be the last time. We packed everything up. We moved into my grandparents. It was my mom, my sister, and I. And we were there for two weeks. Uh, Two weeks is when my mom decided, nope, we're going back. The day before we went back home, I sat my mom down and I said, look, I don't have a choice. My sister doesn't have a choice. We have to do what you want to do. I don't want to do this. He's not going to change. What you think he's been promising is not what's going to happen. So I'm telling you right now, I don't want to do this and I don't feel safe. But we did it. And it was probably some of the worst like four or five months of my life happened then. But I still didn't know. I knew what was happening was bad. I didn't understand it was domestic abuse. And it wasn't until a health class, actually, in high school, a representative from New Hope for Women came. And she was talking about teenage dating abuse. But the paperwork that she gave us, I was reading this going, this is my dad. Like, everything that has happened, like, lines up with everything she's talking about. Was it the power and control wheel, do you think? That was one of them. There were a couple of other things. And then there was a New Hope for Women, like, card. So when I got home, I gave my mom that card. And I gave her the paperwork. And I said, Dad's abusing us. You need to do something. I don't know what the trigger was, but he went on a rampage, and my mom, my sister, and I were locked in my mom's room, in my sister's room, and I was you, you locked yourself in the
1: room? Yes. Yeah.
3: And I was sobbing, going, I want to go back to my grandparents. Please call my grandparents. I don't want to live here anymore. She called New Hope.
1: What happened when you called
2: I was very reluctant for quite a while to call New Hope. My father actually called New Hope first to try to get some questions and answers. And they couldn't really help him. They kept saying, she needs to call. And actually, one of the women that worked there, her name was Happy. She came to the store and spoke to me and said, your dad's been calling. He's really worried about you. What did you think about that? I was like, why? I don't need any help. I was still in that phase if I don't need anything it took me a while to go but once I went I couldn't wait for the next week I can say New Hope saved my life I did group I did one-on-one if there was a day that I wasn't feeling good I walked into the office and they would pull me aside and they would talk to me and it's there for everybody if you ever ever need it please reach out it's anonymous and there was a time when I was better but then something else came up for me and I went back because sometimes you think you're healed but you're not because things will process different times. yes
1: and that's what people don't realize they think that it's a hotline number that you call just when you're desperate for help no but you can call years after yes. you've been out of
2: it I got to the point where I was feeling stronger and I was the leader, and helping people, and that's an empowering thing.
1: Well, you're helping people by being on this radio program.
2: And that's why we're here. You are listening
1: to Let's Talk About It, a conversation about domestic abuse with Rhonda, who works in the pediatric unit of a Maine hospital, and her daughter, Ashley. This is a project of Finding Our Voices, a Maine-based nonprofit that can be found at findingourvoices.net. And I am Patricia McLean, the founder and president of this organization. Now let's return to Rhonda and Ashley. But isn't it weird how it's almost like a light bulb goes off, like there's a second or yes. moment yes. when you're ready to do it?
2: Yes. I just, it was 20 years of abuse for me and my children, and it's a long time. I just wish I had realized sooner. And I don't know what it would take. You know, like I said, I had a financial... Some women, they they don't have anything, and they have to stay. But that is a big question, is why do we keep going back? Why is it so hard to leave? Why is that? Yeah. Actually, my therapist, she said I needed to go to love addiction. I was like, what are you talking about? Because I'm thinking... I'm not really in love with them. There's nothing to do with
1: love. Mm -hmm. You know. It's a dependency. Yes. They they make you dependent because they tear you down and they put you down and tear you down so much that you lose your sense of self and you get filled up with them. They're in your head. Yes. And and that's why we need the distance because we need to get them out of their head. And I feel you need a deprogramming like a cult.
2: Yes. Because it's taking you over. Well, when I left, I had never in my life had anxiety. And I'll never forget the day I was with my sister and I got this feeling in my chest and I go, I kind of feel like I'm going to have a heart attack. So we sat and we tried to get it to pass and then she took me to the hospital and I came down with anxiety at that point because my body had been programmed for so long. Everything was okay. It was normal. And then when I was out and I was okay, I wasn't okay because my body was in shock and didn't know what to do because Mm -hmm. it had been programmed for so long.
1: Yeah, the whole way you just train yourself to cope with the the constant stress. Yes. When it took eight times, do you remember, and your kids were wanting you to leave, but do you remember what were the factors It was all about me. What do you mean?
2: It was all about me wanting to go back there. I never even took into effect what it was doing. And do you remember what
1: the factors were that were pulling you back?
2: Oh, I'm gonna change. I'm gonna be better. Things will change. I won't be like that anymore. I'm sorry.
1: Did you think that it was better for the kids to have their father
2: and for you to be together? Yes. The last time that Ashley was talking about when she begged me not to go back, what I say now is I actually sold my soul to the devil. He said, I had to cook him this every night. I had to be in the bedroom with him every night to watch TV. I had to ignore the children, and I went right along with it. And that's why I say I sold my soul, because I gave up everything to go back there.
3: And that's why it was different, because every other time he was making the promises and this time he was the one forcing her to make promises.
1: Well, the weird thing with me is the last year that we were together, he took up with a 19-year-old. He was 69 years old. And I tried to leave him over and over again that last year because he kept promising that it was over and I would keep finding that it was still going on. And I just did everything I could that year. On one hand, trying to leave, but on the other hand, trying to get him back get him away from her, but thinking I had to double my efforts to be a better wife so that he would choose me over her mm-hmm. It was a, the weirdest mm-hmm. thing because it made me feel like it was my fault mm-hmm. that he was with her. And then the last night, the assault that led to his arrest, he was drilling into me, I am going to continue to have this affair with this woman and you are going to continue to stay with me. You're going to cook my meals. And he was saying these things to me like a demon mm-hmm. and drilling them into me. If he hadn't have been arrested, maybe I would have tolerated all that. Right. It is like a, a selling your soul to the devil, but it's almost like they've brainwashed you. It's a, contr- it's it's a control thing. Yeah. They're telling you what, what you're going to do, and you're ready to do it. And you're going, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. I sort of still sense that you're blaming yourself, but it's something that they do to us that makes us like, automated to be like a ro- robotic, really. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've got to examine. Mm-hmm. What if is a thing they do to our minds? Mm-hmm. On a little bit of a tangent, I'm
3: super into true crime. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and one of the things that I like to learn about are cults. That's why I said deprogramming. It's the same exact behavior of a cult. Is They know not only how to break you down, but the type of victim. I've examined my Parents' relationship a lot over the years, and there was obviously an age difference.
0: Oh, he yes. knew
3: to go for someone who was young, who yes. didn't have a lot of relationship. Yes. And were you pretty naive at the time, would you say? Yes, very much. 18, yes. yes, very much. So he knew to target someone who didn't have a lot of background, who wasn't, you know, fully matured. Yep. Um, so he could manipulate her and you have love bombing, you have testing boundaries, mm-hmm. like the whole pushing her to have a baby young yeah. and seeing what he can get away
1: with. Did he isolate you?
2: Oh, no. We were isolated. We were isolated, but I had my friends.
1: And actually, it's funny that Ronnie yeah. did no and you said <laughs> yes. Yeah, so how?
2: Isolation to me is that he would cut me off from everybody. Which he didn't. I didn't let him. Not that I didn't pay the price. For visiting with my family or going out with my friends, because I certainly did. But that was one thing I wasn't going to let him cut out of my life. So Ashley, why do you say yes to isolation?
3: Take, for instance, my grandfather, he loves to visit his family. He would even bring a treat for my dad. Like, uh, my dad's allergic to chocolate, so my grandfather would try to hunt down these, like, little non-chocolate treats that my dad loved. And then there was almost always a fight. So then my grandfather stopped visiting.
2: Mm.
1: and then your father would start it he would always start it he didn't say your father can't visit but he would make it so
2: he couldn't yes Mm -hmm.
3: obviously as I became more social with kids my own age when I would come home there would always be a fight because I was different I was, I'm learning things from my friends. I shouldn't hang out with them. I
1: need to stay home. I'm not his little girl anymore. Again, he didn't say don't be with your friends, but he made it difficult for when you were me. with them.
2: He mm-hmm. also, towards the point, made it so no friends would come to the house.
1: Oh, he would,
3: when I would have my friends over, there would always be an issue. A lot of it was he would claim that we were being too loud, and instead of just saying, hey, could you guys, like, settle down? We're trying to sleep. He would run up the stairs and say, pack your f-ing bags. I'm taking you the f- home. To your friends? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. There was an incident with a friend of mine when we were younger where we went ice fishing. We were, like, ten, I think. And I was off going to the bathroom. But I could see them. And my friend's hand slipped and just the snowmobile started a little bit and she took her hand off. When I say that my dad tore her up and down, I'm putting it nicely. Like he verbally assaulted her to the point where she got so scared she peed herself.
1: Oh my god!
3: And I am still to this day surprised she stayed my friend. Did she tell her parents about that? No. She was too afraid. She was afraid. A lot of my friends that I heard over the years were afraid to tell people because they didn't want anything to happen to me. Mm. They didn't want either me to be taken away from my family. They just didn't want to cause further problems. So a lot of people didn't say anything. Maybe if she had
1: said something, do you think that could have maybe helped the situation?
3: I, I don't know. There's parts of me that wonders if someone had spoken up, because I mean, in hindsight, there were so many red flags, just things that I would do and say and behaviors. It was show and tell day. And I had this little toy that I wanted to show and it was a winter. I would sit in his truck waiting for the bus because of the heater. The bus came and I grabbed my toy, and as I got out of the bus, I dropped it. So I was hurrying to pick it up, and he just started screaming at me. I got on the bus and I was just crying. And so when I got to school, I was still really upset, and the teacher asked me what happened. And I explained how my dad was screaming at me. And I later got called into the guidance counselor's office, and she asked me a bunch of questions about my dad and about my home life. I had heard from my dad like if you tell people some of the things that happens you might get taken away and so I, I didn't say anything else it was over the summer and I was with my best friend's family and they had a cabin on a lake and so I was staying with them and I remember sitting with her mom and I looked at her and said, I wish I could stay here. I just wanted to cry. But then I played it off like a joke. I didn't try to talk about what was going on a lot. But for some reason, I just had that urge to say something. Did it make you sad that to
1: think that other people had happy homes?
3: It was more that it just seemed easier. Because I was just constantly stressed out. And... I just didn't feel normal. I
1: would just be like,
3: boy that seems like it would take a lot off my plate (laughs)
1: if I had this family. (laughs) Do you remember some happy times with your father or with your family?
3: There were a few. If we had a happy moment there would always be something to kind of tarnish it. He used to drag race um, and he would take me with him and that I kind of enjoyed a little bit mostly because I was out in the sun and there was a lot of people around
2: and it was something he wanted to do it
3: always had to be something he wanted to do Mm -hmm. i think more often than not the happy times in my childhood and growing up were when he wasn't around Mm. because there were a lot of times where we would do stuff and he would not participate
1: that's how it was in our house, too. Like, the three of us, would be like, we'd be like the, the cats
2: away, the mice can play. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. There were many holidays that he decided to
2: stay home. Because which... not only was he verbally abusive to us, he was verbally abusive to everyone. Mm-hmm. So he was verbally abusive to my family, my mom and dad, my sister, anybody that he came in contact with. So, yes, there were a lot of holidays that he would not come. Because of the year before where he probably was not very nice. They never said he couldn't because they were doing it for us. Mm-hmm. We went on a lot of family trips with my mother and father to Storyland, Santa's Village. Were those fun? Yes, very much. There are a lot of good memories, but like she said, it was the memories are without him. Because he went with us before too, to Storyland and stuff, but something always would happen while he was there. And so there were a lot of a lot of good memories without him. So when my mom kicked him out for the last
3: time, it was the beginning of December. 2004 was when she kicked him out, December first. And we stayed in the house for about a month because it was Christmas time. His parents had a house in front of us, and his workplace was also in front of us. Mm. So while my mom kicked him out, we still had to interact with him. So I still talked to him up until when we moved out. Didn't talk to him for years after that. It was after his mother passed away that I decided maybe I could try, because of my grandmother, I could try to rekindle a relationship with him. I, you know, reached out and said, you know, let's talk. I talked to my therapist about this, obviously. And I was like, boundaries, (laughs) boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. I held him at arm's length up until there was an incident where, because at that time he was with his now new wife, who he had been seeing during the last about year that he was with my mom. So same thing with me. When, mm-hmm. uh, the last year, he'd visited yep. another woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she had her own kids. He had wanted my sister to watch the kids while they did something, and she was busy. He called her horrible names because she wouldn't sacrifice her time for him. Your sister. Mm-hmm. And said, I bet your sister will do it. He always tried to pit us against each other. And when my sister told me that, I called him up, and I said, not only will I not be watching those kids, but we're done. And I have not talked to him since, outside of a very angry Facebook message. This was when I tried to go back to college, and I got my very first B, because <laughs> I was, i very much a straight-A student. <laughs> like, that was my thing, was that was how I coped. I got my very first B, and he somehow found out about it, and he went on a rant on his Facebook about how I'm slipping I'm not who I used to be, all this stuff. And I wrote a Facebook message and I said, please stop talking about me. I don't have a relationship with you. Don't post about me on your Facebook page. And that was it. Do you blame your mother? She was also a victim, so I don't blame her for this at all. But some of the stuff that I deal with is because of her as well. I don't hold her accountable for any of it, but it was just for my own, like, realization of, oh, why do I have this issue? And then I'll go, oh, right, because I was neglected. I never felt close to her growing up. I always felt like she hated me.
1: You felt like your mother hated
3: you? I felt like she hated me or that she didn't want me around, and I think it was just that she was so narrow-focused on just Keeping everything okay. Protecting you. She thought she was being a mother, which is completely understandable. She was doing what she could, but, you know, I didn't get tucked
1: in at night. And why would that be? I think it was just because she was busy with my dad. Do you remember why you might not have tucked in? You don't remember, yeah. Mm -mm.
2: I didn't realize that until after, and boy, did it hurt. Did you feel close to Ashley growing up? Um, When she was little. I did. But not later on. No. So much. And like she said, it's a weird thing, and I tell this to a lot of people. We've become more of mother and daughter since being out.
3: I never really felt like she was an authority role at all. Well, he didn't have any authority in the
1: marriage. Mm-hmm. He was the authority. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He controlled everything mm-hmm. and yeah. everyone. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's another thing he robbed you of. Mm-hmm. He's the thief he robbed you of all those roles that you should rightly
2: play yes I wish I had to do it again because I feel I was robbed of of that even though I remember doing it some of it I remember being the mom and and taking care of my babies and things like that but after being out it wasn't how I wanted or that it should have been done
3: I think my sister and I had very different experiences growing up she was 12 when my parents divorced. She still had a kind of chunk of time with my mom where my mom became more of the parent. Mm. She started volunteering in the school and being chaperone and doing this and having playdates, you know, like being a bit more of an active role in my sister's life. And I would sometimes hold like jealousy. It's like... I didn't get that. (laughs) I had a really bad breakdown. And from that point on, we've had like a really big healing process between the two of us. And like our relationship has done a complete 180. I felt like there was some times where I was shoved into the mother role. So I I got to experience what it was like to actually be protected. My mom sacrificed a lot, um, lost her job just to stay home to take care of me. And that, I think, has helped me heal a lot. Are you close now? So close. Mm -hmm. Oh, we are so close. We still have moments where I, you know, have, like, anger, and I have to talk to her about it and ask her, like, well, why didn't this happen? But we have gone through a whole journey since I was 18 (laughs) and just become extremely bonded. I absolutely love her to death. And how would you describe your mother if you were gonna describe her now? Brave, resilient, strong, soft. I feel like she has found a kindness in her that I think she had to kind of hide away. There have been times where I know she has struggled with putting one foot in front of the other, and she still does it. She has yet to sit down and not get
2: up. I feel the same about this girl. (laughs) If people could have seen, from the day she had her nervous breakdown, which was 18 and she's in her 30s now, she could have given up. It's been really hard for her. Really, really hard for her. And she is very strong and very brave. Rhonda, do you feel guilt? Lots. Lots. Talk about that. I've worked on... I've tried to work on it. <laughs> it rises every so often. It will rises when my kids are sad and having their own issues come up, then then it comes up for me that I, I wished I had stayed out and they wouldn't have these issues and that it was my fault. But that's one of the hardest things of this whole thing is learning that it is, wasn't your fault, that it was them, not you. Working in the pediatric office, some days it's hard for me, I feel like I want to cry, because I feel like I ha- wished I had it over, to do it over again. See these little babies come in with their parents, and even their dads, and I say, gosh, I wish I had it to do all over again, what I would do different. But, you know, it is what it is, we're here and we're on the other side. Every day, we all suffer. There's not a day that we don't suffer. But I'm not in it anymore. And I think from the day you leave to the day you die, you will always deal with it. It will always be there with you.
1: Looking back, what do you wish you had done? Stayed out. At at what what time period would have been the time?
2: When Ashley was three, (laughs) when I left the first time, I wouldn't have my second daughter. Um, I wouldn't give her up for anything but I remember it was Halloween and we left and went to my parents and I just wished I had stayed out then the very first time that I left yeah I left for the first time
1: when my daughter was like six months old and I went to a divorce lawyer but then I was afraid to go back and I kind of wish I had Left then, but then I wouldn't have had my son. You mentioned that you lived in a trailer at one point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know where we lived. We were at the top we at the top of a hill in a mansion, and everything you're saying I
2: can relate to. Throughout my whole marriage, all I ever heard was, "Oh, you'll get a divorce and you'll get you know, you won't have anything. And oh really, he didn't want me to have anything. The child support, the little that he paid. For some reason, he thought I was out buying lavish things when it was to take care of his children. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's always been, and that's how it always was in the relationship. It was always to hurt me, and it still is to this day. I don't talk to him. I didn't talk to him very much, even after, but once in a while, I'd have to sit talk about something. And it was still, even though it might have been seven years, it was still my fault. My fault, your fault, your fault. After you left, was it easier or harder than you thought it was going to be? Harder. In what way? Because I knew what to expect. I knew what every day would be. I didn't know when the fight would happen, but I knew the day. And out of it, I was like floundering, and I didn't know. I, You know, my body was in shock, and we were all, like I said, she had a nervous breakdown, and my youngest son tried to commit suicide. And So, No. <laughs> It hasn't been a good being out, but it's what needed to happen. We're just all paying for the after effects of it all. Which, he's not paying for any of it, emotionally or any of that. You know, it's us three that are suffering.
1: You just were listening to Mother and Daughter, Rhonda and Ashley talking about 20 years of domestic abuse with Rhonda's husband and Ashley's father and how the damage of domestic abuse reverberates way beyond the intimate partner and way beyond the time frame of the relationship. I am Patricia McLean, and this program is one of the bold and creative ways we are breaking the silence of domestic abuse around Maine. You may have noticed our huge downtown window banners touring the state. They feature the faces of 27 main survivors and the local domestic abuse hotline phone number. The banners go next to the Blue Hill Peninsula and Dover-Foxcroft, Newport, Millinocket and Lincoln where we are collaborating with Partners for Peace. Contact me through our website findingourvoices.net, if you have a comment or question for me or my guests, if you want to bring the banners to your town, or if you are a business owner wanting to sponsor the banners in your town, or if you would like to donate money to help us break the silence of domestic abuse. I would like to say a few words about WERU and how important they have been to my journey and to this show. I am a photojournalist, and sometime in 2016, a few months after the arrest of domestic violence of my husband of 29 years, I got the idea for an art exhibit of portraits of fellow survivors of domestic abuse. During my years with an angry and controlling and violent husband, I lost my voice. I made myself smaller and smaller in order to keep the peace and the relentless put-downs stripped me of my confidence and bearings. So for the exhibit, I felt it was important to include the women's voices, as well as their portraits. But I had never done any work with audio. So I called Matt Murphy from my favorite radio station, WERU, and he and Jim Campbell set me up with a simple recording system. The audio clips of main survivors telling their stories that resulted were in the Finding Our Voices exhibits that toured the state last year and up until the time this year when it was no longer safe to gather inside. Now, the audio clips are all on the FindingOurVoices.net website, along with archived editions of this show. Amy Brown, the news director of WERU, is someone I have long admired for her powerful voice for social justice. She and Matt and Joel Mann helped me bring this radio show to life. So thank you to each of them for amplifying my voice and those of survivors all across the state. We are going to close with the song, Just a Bully. Nora Willauer and I wrote this song together based on my marriage through her Songs of Me Too documentary songwriters project. And it is her voice and gorgeous cello playing. In the song, mark down in your calendar, August 7th, 7 p.m., for Songs of Me Too, a prelude of change, and it's at www.songsofmetoo.com. And if what Rhonda, Ashley, and I were talking about sounds familiar, if there is someone controlling you and making you afraid, or if you have a family member, friend, or co-worker, you suspect is going through this, and you want to know what you can do to help keep or make them safe, call your local domestic abuse hotline. The advocates who answer the phone believe you and understand it. The phone number for the main domestic abuse hotline is 1-866-834-HELP. And remember, love and love should feel
0: good you swept me off my feet you erased my history. you took all of me and filled it up with you you're a bully you're just a bully I was scared you'd leave me I was afraid you'd kill me I tied myself in knots because I knew what you could do You're a bully You're just a bully And when I walk in town I keep my head down I wear a mask Father my bruises I do what I can to keep